listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Hey guys, uh, my name is Will. I am one of the on-staff pastors. Typically, I work with the elementary age, middle school, and high schoolers, but I am very excited to be here. I, I had to smile as I was thinking about this. Whenever Brad... He sends this thing out, and I usually open it 18% of the time, about what's going on in the church. So there, you can feel a little less conviction, because I have a feeling we're all going to feel some in just a minute. So I'll give you that pass. Um, But whenever he writes about me coming to speak, he always says, buckle your seatbelts, which for me, I'm like, well, great. Now, like, what if if I don't, you know, but that wasn't even my thought. My thought was, you only have to buckle your seatbelts if there's like a huge accident. Like, that is why people buckle their seatbelts. Because they are expecting a catastrophe. And so, at first, it was like, oh, it's kind of a compliment. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, so anyway, I, I'm really glad to be with you guys uh, here this morning. Brad's on his way to Haiti. The way I see it, he's in Miami. Last week, he was in Florida. We'll see. Um, okay, let's just get started. I don't have any more anecdotes. So, let's get to God's Word. What... What we've been doing um, as a congregation up to this point is working through the book of Ephesians. And up to this point, we've worked through Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. Basically, what Paul has written is this. Here is what God has done. This is what God has done through Christ so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can respond to this message. That's Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Now, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is Paul saying, now let's talk response. Let's talk about what that looks like. And I think it's important to mention the order that it was put there because we preach this, but I think it bears repeating. The reason we preach what God did before what we respond is because, I don't know if it's because we're Americans or what, our initial response is to say, okay, I'm going to get cleaned up. I'm going to get this fixed. I'm going to get this in order. I'm going to become a better husband or I'm going to become a better father or something. Then I'm going to come to that cross so that I've got something at least worth Jesus looking at. But the whole point is this. That's not how it works. And we know that. And so Paul, first he says, here is God. Here is what he has done. Here is who you are. Now let's talk response. And what it makes me think of is this. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, if you go halfway through 20, it's this verse and it says, "You were, I just messed up my mic, I'm sorry guys. Sorry, Brandon. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. I am not my own. We were bought with a price. And not just some little price, but a big price. The costliest price that has ever been paid in God's son, Jesus Christ. And I I explained it to my students about a month ago like this. All of us had, we, we were all born and we were made in the image of God. But in our sin, we turned from that. And we became illegitimate children. We turned away from our father and we ran. And we carry with us an adoption paper. And at the bottom of that paper, there's a line. And there's nothing on it. And some of us, we grab whatever pencil or pen or crayon we can find. And we just scratch something in. Because God was intended to be our father. But he may not be the one we're following. Instead, we'll scratch in the word self or me. Or whatever it's going to take for my life to be the way that I want it to be. Or maybe we scratch in family and we feel a little bit better. But God isn't the main thing. It's family. Or maybe it's success. Or maybe it's something else. Fill in your own paper. But God's great desire is to sign his own name to the bottom of your adoption paper. Of my adoption paper. I was talking with Daniel. And they're going to... Where Daniel, where are you? I don't, I, oh, he's probably serving. Is it China? I couldn't remember. I'm so sorry. China. Daniel is about to have to go to China and travel there so that they can pick up Charlotte. And while he's there, my guess is he's going to be signing a lot of papers. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how beautiful an image of the gospel this is. Because he had to actually go there. You see, God had to actually 
come here. That is the bringing of Christ. He, just as Daniel is going to go into probably an impoverished, broken place to pick up this child who needs a good family and who needs a good father, God sent his son Christ to us into this broken world, into this sin-laden place. And, and what, I tell, what, I, what I told my students was this. Christ's death on the cross, the blood that he shed filled the pen of God to sign our adoption papers. And so as we push in to Ephesians chapter 4, what's written at the bottom of your paper? Is God your father? Or have you just been playing games? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we move into this text, there is some heavy and some weighty things. But Father, if I can pray just a few things for us, I would pray this. Your word is living and active. And so Father, wherever it is that your Holy Spirit leads us in this moment, I pray for the hearts and the minds of the people in this room. I pray for the hearts and the minds of the people whom we have influence in the lives of. Father, that we would rightly see your Son that we would rightly see who you are and who it is that you call us to be. Because, Father, when we see you, when we see the face of Christ, it forces us to see our own hearts for what they really are. Not able to be cleaned up on their own. Not able to be wiped up on our own. We can't fix it. We can't improve it. But praise be to God that you sent your Son and that when Christ came, he filled the ink of a pen that was used to sign my adoption paper. And you're my dad. And so, Father, as we press in, and Paul tells us to live worthy of what was done for us. When we continue to read on, and your word tells us, do you realize that you're a family, an eternal family, to bear with one another in love? When you tell us that you have given us a purpose in this life, I pray, Father, that our eyes would be on you, that it would liven up our spirits within us. Father, that we would leave this room excited about what it is that you have done and excited about what it is that you have called us to do. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's get started. If you've got your Bibles, uh, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses in this book of Ephesians, and it starts off like this. Paul is writing, and let me just tell you this, Paul's ministry had about the same duration as Christ's ministry. He, he ministered for about 30 years. He was probably in his late 20s, early 30s when he started this ministry. And whether he knows it and to what extent he knows it, at the point when he is writing this letter, he is only a couple short years away from his death. And so he finds himself in a jail cell, which is an interesting thing because God's mission to him was to go, move, go to all these different places, tell them about me, tell the Gentiles about me, and he finds himself chained down in a jail cell. And so he does, this, is, this is not what I'm preaching on, this is a great, great message anyway. Just when God tells you to do something, but the circumstances don't seem to dictate your ability to do it, trust him and do it to the best of your ability anyway. So he writes these letters because he can't go there personally. And in writing these letters, it builds itself into the canon of Scripture that we have now. And so here's what he says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I, I think he would say this. I, Paul, who am a prisoner. I'm not asking you to do something that I have not done. I'm only saying follow me as I follow Christ. I'm saying Walk in a manner worthy of what has been done. When we realize what has been done for us in Christ, it must elicit a response. If it doesn't elicit a response, we really need to question ourselves and look inwardly and say, have I truly seen Christ? Have I truly responded to this gospel? And then he uses this word urge. And, and let me say this. He's not saying, I urge you to bring your Bibles to church. It's not one of those kind of urges or Everything that I think of is like something that's kind of a real urge. Um, I urge you to, uh, if you would, not leave the bulletins everywhere when you leave so that Amy doesn't spend three hours in it. It's not one of those type of an urge things. I'm sure Amy would appreciate that. 
When he uses the word urge, we find it in other places in Scripture. I want to mention two of them to you. One is in Matthew 8 with the centurion. The other is in Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to go through these quickly. They're going to pop up behind me. Matthew chapter 8. When he, being Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, urging him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. This is the type of urgency that Paul's talking with. The centurion walks up to Christ and he says, here's the deal. My servant, who has been a part of my home, he is very much a part of my family. He's paralyzed at home and the situation is not good. It's terrible. He's in excruciating pain. Can you do something? That's the type of urgency. We see it also in Mark chapter 1 when a leper comes up to Christ. It says, and a leper came to him imploring him, urging him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. You can, you, you, you've got to imagine this guy. How long he had leprosy, we don't know. But it was a death sentence. And it wasn't just any type of death sentence. Some of us all, or many of us know that we probably don't have X number of years before us. But this man walked around with a reminder Leprosy was a skin disease. It, it, it caused your skin to, to literally die as you were living. So they would take those people and they would put them in a completely different place so that they wouldn't contaminate anyone else. They were outcasts. They walked through the streets saying unclean. They could, I'm not trying to be graphic here, but I want you to pick up the picture. They could smell their own death upon them as they walked, as though you and I had a clock ticking and we could hear every last tick and this man walks up to Christ and he falls on his knees and he says Jesus if you will that's the type of urgency Paul is talking about I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called what's he saying he's saying live like Christ your life my life should look different than what we see let me let me read you this This makes me think of a, a passage in James. In James chapter 1, we read this. Verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only. This is what Paul's saying. Do it. There should be a response. Remember everything that I wrote in the beginning of my letter? You've got to respond to this. And see, many of us, and I think this is one of the most convicting scriptures, maybe to our culture and our time, James, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And here's the funny thing. You and I agree to that. We nod our head to that. Yeah, we shouldn't just be listening. We should be doing something about it. But here's the funniest part. Maybe that's not the best word. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Do you realize that by coming and sitting in a chair and, and thinking that that's enough, you are living under deception? Let me, t let me carry this thought out a little bit further. Here's the irony. Some people will go to a church service on Sunday. And because they went to a church service on Sunday, they feel like, and do not get me wrong on this, they feel like because they came, they are now closer to God. Like that's what was required for them to grow was just the showing up of it. And they sit in a chair and the irony of that is this. If all you are doing is coming for the sake of coming, that that would make you closer. The irony is you are actually farther from God for the coming without responding. At best, we are heaping judgment for ourselves when we know the truth and don't respond. You would be better off not to, sh this is not going to be preached very often, I don't think. This may be my last time up here. You would be better off not showing up than showing up for the sake of showing up. Because we deceive ourselves. We fool ourselves into thinking, that's it. I sat down on a very, we really researched these things, a very padded chair in an air-conditioned building. God, aren't you proud of me? Really? It goes on and it says this. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, going back to Paul, if anyone sees what Christ has done but does not respond with their life, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. How does that play out? Well, it means you you come to a service on Sunday and the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart. I need to change this. I need to do this. Not to get cleaned up for Jesus, but because of what Jesus has done, I feel like I need to make this change. But then come Monday at 3 o'clock, you have no recollection of it. You have stared at yourself in the mirror. You have put yourself under the truth of God's word. You have seen God. You have seen Christ clearly. And it forces you to see yourself. But then within a matter of hours or a couple of days, you have completely forgotten everything. That's convicting. And I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. But I recognize that this is a very heavy front end of a message, by the way. I know that usually you like start light and then it gets heavy. We're not going to do that today. Because I feel like the text kind of dictates that we start with some gravity and and we end with some encouragement, but there is an encouragement here. Verse 25 says this, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It is God's great desire that you do live a life of joy. It's God's great desire that you do live a life of blessing and not some goofy prosperity blessing thing. I have got to show you this. I, <laughs> let me finish that thought and then I'll show you this. It is God's great desire that you live a life of joy and blessing, but not unto yourself, unto him and unto his glory. Okay, now I've got to show you this. So I was going through um, some of the money that had come in for the ski trip, the day of the ski trip, which is how we do things in the youth world. <clears throat> I'm talking a stack of cash. Everybody's like, oh yeah, we're leaving today. For, so here, here you go. And one of the, I, and I, it, I just love this. I put it on Brad's desk. The numbers are going to be off and Becca's going to zing me at the end of the year. I don't know if I'm going to let us put this thing in. The prosperity gospel has made its way into Crosspoint. Just want you to know that. I'm going through the money. And I'm counting it and whatnot. Where's this thing? And I found this $20 bill. It's a regular 20 But on the back, in federal offense style, written. I do it too. You do it. Whatever. Um, is written this. Blessings. Abundance. Wealth, all with exclamation points. I didn't really say blessings, but you get it. Return to me and you. I get a little blessing for finding it, you know what I'm saying? One hundredfold. Really? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm just, I, I'm thinking, this is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. Now, I'm sorry if stupid is not a word that you use and your 10-year-old is here. You need to honor your father and mother and not follow Will's poor example in that. But who really is like, oh, well, here comes the, bla- the basket, $20 bill in, and I'll be looking for my 2K when I get home. <laughs> I mean, is that what church, and it made, me think, it made me think of this. Like, we live in a culture where the moment I say blessing, I have to go back and say exactly what I mean, because this is so prevalent now. But how ironic is it that the person walks in, they like named it and claimed it on the bill. It's like, this is happening, man. And they threw it in the basket. And in the, I, I mean, as I think of scripture, the time I most saw Jesus angry was when he's throwing these tables at the temple because people are using it to exchange money. And now here we are 2,000 years later and the same thing's happening. We're like, I'm going to toss in my 20. I'm going to get, we're just trading money. We're giving it to God to get it from God. Those aren't the blessings I'm talking about. I had to share that with you. If anybody wants to see the 20, I will leave it here. I'm going to frame it and put it in Brad's office. Prosperity gospel has reached the steps of Cross Point Church. I love it. (laughs) But it is God's great desire. And it's like I was saying, I, I know that what I'm talking about is heavy stuff. But it's my desire that whether you go out those doors or those doors or wherever you leave this room, I want you to be excited. I I want you to be pumped because you have rightly seen what God has done for you. And I don't want your heart to be a cul-de-sac that just stores that up. Oh, God has done so much and so much. 
Well, do something with that, is what Paul is writing. Yes, he did. So now you should, is what he's writing. And so he goes on and he puts some feet on it. And here's what we find in verses 2 and 3. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And if you are like me, the moment somebody reads a verse like this, you take all these words and you put them into this like goopy thing in your head, kindness and goodness and peace and humility. And you're like, yeah, yeah, God stuff, I get it. Do the God stuff. But Paul is specifically writing these words. The reason he begins with humility is because the culture he lived in, in Ephesians, they prized pride. Being proud was seen as a virtuous thing. It was seen as taking, taking the bull by the horns, holding on to the reins of your own life. And Paul immediately says, I see, see, we at least fake it. Like, we at least know, I can't walk in and be all cocky and be all proud because that's going to look down upon. So instead, I'm going to be humble, but people are going to notice. <laughs> like, that's how, we, that's how it plays out in our, I'm going to be gentle. And then the Bible says, someone's going to be like, man, you really handled that well. And I'm going to be like, God's good. Thinking, yeah, I did pretty good there. I mean, God, you're good, but come on. But, and, and we do the same thing. And so he pushes in and he basically says, live as Jesus lived. Stand out like a sore thumb. Do you look like everybody else? Do you act like everybody else? Do you respond in anger just like anybody else? Or is there something special? Is there an attendance of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Now understand me, I am not preaching perfection here. But what I am saying is, if we have come to the cross, there ought to be something different about our lives than those who have not. There has to be. If Christian is a word that means follower of Christ or smaller version of Christ, then we ought to look like that. Francis Chan um, whom I look up to very much. He's got this thing, it's called kinetic typography. You, you've probably seen this. It's where um, like somebody preaches, or a lot of times they'll use it in R&B and rap and stuff like that. Kwame and I were watching a bunch of them the other day. It's where like as they're speaking it, the words appear and build off of one another. You know what I'm talking about there? It's on YouTube. Francis Chan has one for 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. And it says this, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, whoever says I abide in Christ, my life is united with Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And I'm going to paraphrase this, and I, I would recommend that you go and check it out. Maybe I can put a link on the website when we release uh, this or whatever. But he basically says something to the effect of, we all really, 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 really like Jesus. But we don't want to be like Jesus. We love that he was humble, that he came, that he was abused and spit upon so that we don't have to. We love that he came and laid down his rights as the son of God. But I'm going to spend the rest of my life maintaining my own rights. We love that he came to serve, but I'm going to spend my days seeing how I can get others to serve me. And I feel like it's epidemic in the church. Humility and gentleness. Paul's saying, all of you are united. All of us are one. Because we all had to turn to the same thing. We may have had a different past. Your sins may have been sins of self-righteousness and, so, and your neighbor's sins may have been sins of licentiousness, but they were all still sins. And we all had to go to the exact same place. So bear with one another in love when someone wrongs you. And here's the deal. If you're here for any length of period, length of period? Any period or length of time, somebody's going to mistreat you or wrong you. And you're not going to want to be humble you're not going to want to be gentle. You're going to want to fire right back. You're not going to want to be humble 
and gentle and patient. But God says this, you're a family. And when we see Jesus talk about the family, I am not trying to downgrade our biological family. I love my wife very much and I love my two boys and I I don't think there's anything in this world that I love more than them. But when we see Christ talk about family blood compared to family spirit, we see him do it in a similar way to this. A man walks up to him and Jesus says, follow me. And he says, first let me go tell my father and mother goodbye. And Jesus says, no, follow me. Another man walks up and he says, I will follow you. Let me go bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. But you come and follow me. Mary and his brother show up while he's preaching. And his disciples say to him, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus turns back and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? They are those who do the will of God. This is our family for all eternity. We need to love one another. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Bearing with one another in love is a gritty, broken process. But do we realize that when you as a broken person and I as a broken person in a broken circumstance still decide to maintain unity with one another, we display the glory of God better than we ever could by getting along? That's standing out in this world. Not leaving, and and please understand me when I say I understand this. It's easy to leave a church and go to another one because you get a blank slate. I deal with it when middle schoolers move up to high school. Hey man, barely anybody knows me. I can be whoever I want to be. All my other stuff when I tripped and fell and the, the, the tray with all my lunch on it splattered all over my shirt. These people don't know that anymore. It's a fresh start for me. But can I tell you that your sins still follow you? Can I tell you that your brokenness will still follow you? You will find yourself in cycle after cycle, having to leave, not bearing with one another in love, not having somebody there beside you when you are going through a difficult time. And that is why Paul writes to the Ephesians. And he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Piper would say, don't waste your life. That's how he would look at this. Fell in love with that guy when I was in college. I got to meet him uh, a year or so ago. And this, this text is where he would say something to the effect of, if your plan, in fact, I, ju- I was just watching a sermon of his. If it is your plan, now Reynolds and I l- a little bit disagree on this. He, he has more grace than I do, but he also has more wisdom than I do. So I'll just be the young guy, okay? <clears throat> Piper basically says, if it has been your plan to live life and then retire, and play golf, and goof around. And I'm not saying that's Reynolds' plan. I shouldn't have even done that. Now y'all are going to go up to Reynolds and be like, so you're going to retire anytime soon? (laughs) Do that. Um, But if that's your plan, what Piper would say is this, you've got to be blind. You see, there are people around us who are dying, and I don't mean physically dying, I mean eternally dying. And if we have rightly seen Christ, if we are responding to what God has done for us, we would have to be blind to go on living a life for ourselves, amassing wealth for ourselves, so that we can end our life with a number of good years of playing golf and sitting around at the computer. And here's the thing, it might be, it might be the computer, it might be video games for you. It might be flipping through the channel and surfing. I did my research And came up with a good illustration for young ladies. Which is usually my worst thing to be able to come up with on my own. It might be Etsy for you. Or Pinterest. (laughs) See? Now you can't walk out and be like, you weren't talking to me. (laughs) What is it that we are using our time with instead of using it for the gospel? And so Paul continues on. And he says this. Speaking of unity in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Unity, 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 unity. Why, Paul? Why? This person drives me crazy. All right. 
I won't leave the church. I'll just sit on this side. They'll sit on that side. We'll make sure we alternate our Bible study. That's not Christ. That's not bearing with one another in love. I was speaking of this one body, one spirit. The... The church will always be God's method. There's not a better thing coming down the pike. If you pick up what I'm saying. The church is always going to be God's method. He's kind of, that's how I'm doing it. And, and there, there is a church global, which is one of the reasons we're sending some people away in missions. But then it expresses itself in a local way. And I saw this picture beautifully a few days ago. A buddy of mine, uh, his, his name is Brandon. His wife is pregnant. They had uh, their first child. Her name is McKinley. She was born at 26, 26 weeks. Literally a miracle baby. They got pregnant again with a little boy. She was in her 27th week a few days ago. So she's either at the end of 27 or beginning of 28 and had to go into the hospital because she had the same complications and problems that they did with McKinley. So they go into the hospital, and, and the good news is, it seems like this case is better. The, the doctors were able to calm down her body and the contractions and things like that, and it looks like, you can certainly be praying for them, but it looks like they're going to be able to, to hold that off so that the baby can continue to develop. But while we were there, I walked in, and Karen Ann walked in just to sit with them and spend some time with them, because she's going to be on bed rest for who knows how long. And I walked in just thinking, you know what, I, you know, I'll, I'll give them a little bit of encouragement, and I'll spend some time with them. We, we go to different churches, by the way. And then we had a knock on the door. We'd probably been there for 30 or 45 minutes, and we were just talking, his friends talking. We had a knock on the door. And as soon as this guy walked in, you could sense it. You could feel it, that the Holy Spirit had put something on his heart. He walks in. Tears are already sort of in his eyes. His voice is already sort of quivering. And he walks in and it made matters worse that he saw me because he knew that I was a pastor. And so now he was dealing with, I feel like the Lord has told me to come and share this verse with you and to pray with you. And now I've got the professional sitting here. You know how it is. That's why I get to pray it every Thanksgiving. And that's why I get to pray. And that's fine. I love it, you know. But he walked in and this to me was one of the most beautiful pictures of us having one spirit. He walked in and he said, I have this verse that I wanted to share with you. And, and he read it and, and, and he really had to kind of fight through it as he was reading it. And then he said, may I pray with you? And he prayed with, he prayed for Catherine. Probably a prayer that he'd rehearsed in his head a hundred times as he was going, driving up to the hospital and pressing the button in the elevator and beginning to knock on the door. But can I tell you, that that, that that man walking in to minister the goodness of God in that room was so much stronger than what I did just walking in as a friend. Because we were all one spirit. He came in and it changed the entire mood of the room. Just as you were called to one hope. We were all in the exact same boat. We ought to be able to relate with one another. We were all in the exact same place. We ought to be able to love one another. How funny is it that our little stuff can really mess with us when we have the biggest thing in Christ and what he has done, and yet like the debtor who refuses to repay the debt of the one who owes him, we're, we receive this great goodness and then refuse to respond with it. He goes on and he says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now the reason that this is important, that we have one Lord and the same faith and the same baptism is this. When I say Jesus and you say Jesus, we need to be talking about the same guy. 
You see, there are a lot of people who will say, I love God, or I believe in God, or I believe in Jesus, but who they are talking about is a very different Jesus than who you and I believe in here. And so Paul includes this, and he says, you can't just be one of the people who says, I believe in God. That's not good enough. That's not far enough. Jesus, the Jesus who came and died on the cross for our sins, not the Jesus of some other religion or the Jesus that we have built up in our mind to be what it is that we desire for him to be so we can be who we desire to be, but the same one. That is what holds us together. And he goes on and he says this, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In in, in this day, in Ephesians, there was a lot of mysticism. Um, There was a lot of occult activity. And Paul writes this to them, and I think it's important that we realize it as well. There is no element, there is no aspect of our lives that Jesus doesn't touch. Karen Ann and I got to go see a movie the other day. Um, We had babysitters and everything. And uh, I went there and I saw one of my students when we were getting our ticket. We got our ticket from her. And uh, I was talking with Darby and I was like, hey, it's so cool to see you here. She said, yeah, I know. It's great to see you. You know, it it, it makes my day. It excites me. And then Karen had said, it's kind of weird though, isn't it? And she was like, yeah, it's kind of like seeing your teacher when you're out of school or just seeing somebody that, yeah, it's like seeing Brad at the coffee shop. You're like, whoa, hang on. Okay, all right, I'm ready for this. You, you, you know what it is? You know what I'm talking about? It's like we're all about Jesus when we're here, but when we're out there, it's, it's like we sectionalize our lives off. We preach this all the time. Are, are, are you preaching Christ at the water cooler? And we section our little lives off. And what Paul is saying, no, 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 no. There's one God and Father of all. And he's over all things. He's over your job and he's over your family. He's over your hobbies. He's over everything that you do. And not only that, he's through it. He wants to use it. He's in it. He wants everything that we do to point to the goodness of God for his glory. And then it goes on in verse 7 and it says this. Paul says, recognize what God has done and respond. Let me put some legs on that, on how to walk. You need to love each other as a family, as an eternal family. And I have good news for you. But grace was given to each one of us. This is not a a grace like a saving grace. This is a grace on top of that saving grace. Grace was given to each one one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. What it's saying is this, God has gifted you. Last time I was up here preaching, I think I was preaching from Daniel when I was talking about spiritual gifts and knowing your spiritual gifts and using your spiritual gifts. And what Paul is saying here is, God has given you a purpose here and now. Think about this. Do you think Christ lacked the power that at the moment of your conversion, he could have taken you up into the higher places with God himself? Do you think he lacked that ability? That if it was his desire, the moment that your heart turned and, respond to God, and responded to God, do you believe he lacked the power to immediately take you up into heaven? No. Then why didn't he? Why didn't he? Because there's a plan for us here. And there's a point for us here. And it's gritty. And it's messy. And I think part of it is so that we would realize the greatness of what Christ did for us. But I think the other reason is it displays God. And so he has given us a purpose. He has given us giftedness. And he goes on in verses 8, 9, and 10. And this is one of those passages that's misunderstood. It's where I think when we do the Apostles' Creed as a church, we don't have on the end of it, and he descended into hell. We, we don't, you, you may have noticed that. We don't have that. And the reason is we don't line up with that. But I think that's, this scripture is where many people take that from. That was actually added to the Apostles' Creed later. When it says this, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Now, when we say lower regions, that's where some people would go so far as to say 
Jesus went down into hell, and, and, and if I, when I was a kid, the way it was explained to me was Jesus went down to hell, and he rescued people from hell, and he took them to heaven. And then I was like, so you're telling me people died that were going to heaven, but they had to live in hell for a while? So then somebody told me, well, there are two different hells. There's Gehenna and there's Sheol, and one of them is the bad place, and the other one is a waiting place. And so that calmed me down a little bit as a kid. I was like, well, I, I sure hope I don't die. I mean... I kind of thought the whole reason I walked down and said the prayer is to avoid that whole mess. Um, so maybe if one of you could help me make sense of this. But in, in Matthew chapter 12, it said, do we have this, Chrissy? Do we have the Matthew chapter 12 up there? We do. Okay, good. It says this. Did it pop up way before I responded? To, okay, good. All right. It says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights. And by the way, th this is like a parenthesis. This is just me wanting to make sure that I accurately and appropriately teach the word of God. Uh, and, and so I know that this seems maybe like a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I want us to be rightly informed in God's word. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so many of us, when we look at this verse, we don't believe that it's talking about Christ descending into hell. We believe it's talking about Christ being found in the grave. He came and he died and he was buried. But because we're Christians, we get to say, but on the third day, he rose from the dead. And this is the point that Paul's making when he says this in verse 8. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. If you take it back to maybe some movies you've seen or if you remember history very well, you remember that when a conqueror went into a different kingdom and conquered it, he would walk back into his capital city carrying in chains the people of prominence from the place that he conquered. Are, are you picking up the picture here? You would have Marcus Aurelius or whoever it is walking back into the capital city and in chains would be the king and the prince's of the provinces of the, the land that he just conquered as proof of his conquering it to them. They didn't have the internet. They didn't get the email. We conquered Babylon. Oh, well, that is wonderful. They didn't get that. And so they, the, the, the king wanted there to be a visual reminder, we have done this. And when we see this, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. What we see is Christ grabbing a chain, and in chains behind him is death itself. In chains behind him is the brokenness of sin itself. And he's walking it before us in his ascension to heaven saying, we've done it, I've done it for you. If you're a part of my kingdom, if you're a part of my family, then death has been conquered. Do you see it? I'm alive. Then sinfulness and brokenness has been conquered. Do you see it? And so if we have been set free, what have we been set free into? And Paul says this. He ascended on high and led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. You and I are the recipients of the spoils of a war we never fought. We receive the spoils of a war that we not only never fought, but never could have fought. And Christ does it for us, and he says, it is yours. Salvation is yours. Freedom from sin is yours. Freedom from death is yours. And Paul would say, if that is the case, if that is what has hit your heart, if you look at that cross and it's more than wood on a wall or gold on a chain, then our lives should be lived in response to it. And Robert said this. He said, we do this thing so half Heartedly. But 
But what I want to encourage you with is this. This next thing is what I want to be your encouragement. The thing that allows you to leave this place excited about what is to come. If Christ has done it and it is yours, all you have to do is receive it and walk. All you have to do is recognize, I can't be humble. I can't be gentle. I can't be patient. But praise be to God that in sending his son, he allowed me to respond by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit that allows me to respond to what Christ has done is the same spirit that allows me to say, when that brother wrongs me, I love you anyway. It allows me to live a life that points to Christ when my coworker does something and all I want to do is send a snarky email or make a snarky comment. When my son or my daughter acts incomplete. I don't have a daughter. I just went into complete preacher mode where I was like making up illustrate. When my son does something in front of someone else that embarrasses me so much, I don't know how to respond. I do know how to respond because of the goodness of the Holy Spirit. You can do this thing, is what Paul is saying. You can live this life. Just choose to do so. And the good news is, it's not your own strength. It's his. Keep your eyes on the cross, and your feet will follow. My dad told me once, when I was learning how to cut grass, the lines are supposed to be straight, son. My dad doesn't talk that deep, but I think all proverbial fathers should. In every illustration, a father should be at least 10 decibels below what they are in real life. Especially when they're proving a point. And so, you know, here I am with a little lawnmower cutting. And what do I do? Well, I'm cutting and I'm like, is my line straight? Is my line straight? And, and, and this is, uh, the Bible says the same thing. He who puts his hand to the plow but looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. You can't keep looking over your shoulder to see how good you've done. You can't keep looking back and patting yourself on the back saying, look at how good I did. Your line's going to be all messed up. But if we put our eyes on the cross, our feet naturally follow. If we put our eyes on the cross, our feet naturally follow. So number one. I'm not doing a ton of points. You probably picked that up. But I do want you to walk away with this. Number one, live in accordance with the gift that you were given. May your life be a response to the greatness of the gift that you received. No child who is adopted and appreciates the fact that they were saved out of a broken life is going to spend their time on the couch eating Doritos flipping through channels, and we ought not either. Number two, we are an eternal family whose father is God himself. If you don't like the person sitting next to you, and for many of us, that's not the case. Our, our, our church has not been around for, for a super long time, especially those of you who, who really just learned about Crosspoint when we moved into this new building. But give it time. Somebody's going to really rub you the wrong way. It's going to happen. I, I mean, I happen to work with who I think are some very wonderful people. And we sit around a staff table and it happens there. And so if it happens there, it's happening everywhere. But we are an eternal family whose father is God himself. If we have been adopted, if we have been shown great love, we also should show great love. Bear with one another in love. Be gentle and patient and humble with one another. And then finally this. Thank God that he has blessed us and gifted us. And we use that to glorify him. And that also becomes our greatest joy. Living a life for yourself is always going to dead end in brokenness. And it's never going to work out. I promise you. It may work out for a time, but it's never going to end well. But when we put our eyes on the cross and we choose to walk for Christ, there is great joy that attends knowing that you were created by a creator and are doing exactly what you were created to do. If Christ can conquer death and sin, 
and give you the spoils of that war. We can live this life well through the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, you are good, good, good to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The word says that you were long-suffering, wanting none to perish. And so, Father, if I may be so bold as to pray this, that those who have been looking at a mirror and forgetting what they've seen, that those who have heard the words of truth but have not responded as though that they were words of truth, those who have come and thought that the coming was the end result and the good enough, I pray that your Holy Spirit would puncture their hearts, that you would press upon them their need for a Savior and that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day when they turn and fully rely on Christ and not on themselves or their ability to do good enough or be clean enough or compare themselves well enough, but Father, that they would recognize that the greatest gift ever given was your Son. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would hit those hearts now. And for those of us blessed enough, joyful enough to call you dad, to call you father, to sit with other believers in a room who are our brothers and sisters, our eternal family who we will spend time with for all eternity. Father, may we encourage one another. May we hold one another accountable. May our lives be more concerned with living like Christ and living in comfort or being accepted. May we allow ourselves to be sharpened as iron sharpens iron, though it is painful and there is much heat. May we do that, that you would receive glory, that we would be sanctified, that we would live lives that mimic the life of Christ. And Father, may we realize that this life that you have called us to live is not a distant thought that is unattainable. It is not something that we can't accomplish. But Father, it is something that we can do through you if you are through all things and in all things and over all things certainly that means my life and my response inside this building and out in my home at my job at my school wherever I find my two feet planted that is my mission field in that moment And I pray for us, Father, that you would make us lights in the darkness through your spirit and for your glory. In the name of your son, we pray.